Have you heard the AABP podcast? My name is Dr. Fred Gingrich, and I'm the executive director of AABP. Today, we are joined by Dr. Jennifer Kozel, who is a theriogenologist currently at Texas Tech University. Dr. Kozel recently published a paper in the bovine practitioner titled Sight of Shoot and Handedness Does Not Affect the Sensitivity of Tritrichomonas Fetal Sample Collection in Bulls. This project was funded by the AABP Foundation and provides relevant clinical research to practicing veterinarians. Please consider donating to the AABP Foundation by following the link in the show notes to support future projects that directly benefit bovine veterinarians. Stay tuned as we walk through this paper. Welcome to our show, Jen. Please introduce yourself for our listeners. Good morning, Fred. I am Jen Kojal. I am currently on faculty at Texas Tech School of Veterinary Medicine as part of the food animal team. I went to veterinary school at Oklahoma State, and then I pursued a residency in comparative therogenology in Auburn. So. Great. Thank you. And uh, today we're going to talk about a publication that was uh, recently released in our Bovine Practitioner Journal, the AABP peer-reviewed journal. And this project was funded by the AABP Foundation Clinical Research Grant. Let's start off and talk a little bit about the foundation first, Jen, if you don't mind. Why did you pursue funding through the foundation, number one? And number two, why is it important for the AABP Foundation to support research like this, which is really aimed at practical research for that practicing veterinarian. So I think you just hit the nail on the head of why we pursued funding from the AABP Foundation, because these this project was very clinical in nature. And so this project is really a trio of projects that looked at clinical factors with testing for tritrichomonas fetus in bulls. And so we had previously sought funding for this project through larger organizations such as USDA, and it just doesn't quite meet their standards of what they're looking for in a research project. So we pursued funding from AAB. AABP Foundation because of the clinical nature of this research. And this research really impacts a cattle veterinarian and consequently our clients. So it was a perfect match. I agree completely. And thank you for conducting this research and for submitting your proposal to the AABP Foundation. And now it's time for a little plug for our listeners. The AABP Foundation research projects, just like this one, they are all funded by you, our members. And I would just ask that if you're listening to this podcast, you know, we get a thousand to fifteen hundred people that listen to each one of these podcast episodes. I would ask for you to consider making a donation to the foundation. Each one of these projects gets funded for up to twenty five thousand dollars. So twenty five bucks from each one of our listeners from this episode would fund another project. So please consider donating to the foundation so we can continue to support research just like Jen did here. 
And you mentioned that this project was about Tritrichomonas fetus. Let's just level set everyone and talk about uh, that pathogen. What is Tritrichomonas fetus and why is it important to the cattle industry in the U.S. and globally? Right. So Tritrichomonas fetus is a protozoa that is a sexually transmitted pathogen in cattle. And so this organism lives within the reproductive tract of bulls and cows. The bull is becomes chronically infected, and so he is infected for lifetime once he becomes infected. And so he passes this organism from to the cow during breeding, and then she consequently can have embryonic loss or abortion following infections. This disease has been in the U.S. for many, many years, for several decades, and it continues to plague the U.S. and the beef industry specifically. The dairy industry, as they've moved to AI, has really gotten away from this disease, but it's certainly a disease of natural service. And so what happens is the the bulls become chronically infected, the cow becomes infected, she loses the embryo or has an abortion. Consequently, the cow doesn't have a calf. And so we're looking at huge economic impacts from the loss of that calf for the cow-calf producer. The other side of that is that there is no legal treatment for trichomonas fetus in the U.S. We have a vaccine um, that is labeled for control. And so we rely heavily on testing the fine positive animals so that we can call those animals since we do not have a means of treatment. And so that's where diagnostic testing becomes really important for this disease. You know, if, it, if it's been around so long, Jen, what, you know, I why is it still so prevalent? And is that because there's some challenges with controlling the disease? Certainly. So Detecting the disease and controlling the disease has always been our main issues with this disease. Our diagnostic labs have really helped us with making great strides. So originally, we were looking only at culturing this organism from our samples, which we all know that culturing has its pros and cons. And as we've really advanced into PCR and then reverse transcript. PCR, we have really made great strides in identifying these organisms and finding those positive animals. Other considerations, areas where we have open range, community grazing, those are also opportunities for this disease to really spread amongst herds. So we've been fighting this for a long time. It also the fact that we have to recognize it, we have to identify it, and then we have to call those animals, which is often difficult for some producers to do economically. And I always find it interesting why an investigator asks a question. And I thought this was a very interesting question that you asked, which was, does sight of shoot and handedness affect the sensitivity of Tritrichomonas fetus sample collection in bulls? That's the title of the paper. So 
what was the reason you asked that question? Right. So Dr. Parker from Canada looked at some testing results in the early 2000s, and she noted within her results that a right-handed person was more likely to have a positive test from a positive bull when collected from the right side of the shoe. Unfortunately, in that paper, she didn't have a left-handed person in that study. And so during my residency, I did some research with Tritrichomonas fetus and writing across this paper. And so the last almost decade, it's been running through my mind, well, what happens if a left-handed person does this? So that was one of the fun things about joining Texas Tech School of Veterinary Medicine is that one of my co-authors, Dr. Pippa Gibbons, is a left-handed person. So we were a suddenly a magic duo to do a right-sided versus left-sided study to say, does it matter for the cattle veterinarian which side of the chute they collect a sample from? I think that's one of the things that we as cattle veterinarians are always thinking about is how we do the best job for our clients and knowing that little things matter when we're doing tests such as this. So looking to see, do is there a difference depending what side of the chute that I take that sample on, depending on what my natural handedness is or what is my preferred hand to use? So. That was kind of the basis of our question. I think it's a great question, again, for that practicing veterinarian. I'm, I'm glad that you took the job at TTU. I've never heard of anyone taking a job because their coworker was a, was a lefty, but I think that's a great reason because Pippa's a great person. Let's, let's dive into the study and the paper now, Jen. What were the objectives of right. this Right. So study? the objectives of this study was to determine if there was a difference in the side of shoot based on the handedness of the person, so whether you are left or right-handed dominant, and whether you are more likely to get a positive sample, whether you collected from the right side or left side of the chute. And so when we looked at this paper, so that was really our objective, and we did a crossover study to see if there was a difference in the ability to retrieve organisms from known positive bulls. Walk us through your study design and then your your sample set that you used for your... Right. Uh, so our study design was a crossover design. So Pip and I sampled the same bulls. So we ha- were able to acquire 11 sexually mature bulls that were previously diagnosed with uh, tritrichomonas. So uh, thank you. I need to take the time to thank the Texas, New Mexico, and Oklahoma State veterinarians for helping me identify those bulls and then transport them to Amarillo. So we procured those 11 positive bulls, and then we took them through. So they were all housed together, and we did a two-factor crossover design. So we were looking at, did it matter whether you were right-handed or left-handed, or if you collected from the right side or left side of the shoe. So we just randomly assigned the bulls by a flip of the coin. So first day, we flipped the coin and to see whether the first bull in the chute was going to be assigned to the right-sided right-handed or left-handed person, and whether they would collect first from the left side or right side of the shoe. 
So we had lots of samples on these bulls because every time a bull was sampled, they were sampled by one person, but that person sampled from both sides of the chute. So they would get a sample from the right side and they would get a sample from the left side and they always had to use their dominant hand. So lots of samples were taken from this. We sampled each bull eight times. Uh, with using that crossover. Uh, so if you look in the paper, you can see the table where bull A was sampled by left-handed person and then week two was right-handed. And so we flip-flopped um, for eight weeks to have sufficient power to look at this study. And for our listeners, Jen, that are dairy veterinarians and maybe yeah. have never sampled a bull for trick, can you walk through that process just a little bit about how that right. procedure so, is done? Right. So try trichomonas fetus because it does live on the penis and prepuce. We get use a we the sample that we like the best is a smegma sample, and so there's several devices that we can use. The cheapest and probably the most commonly used is the mare insemination pipette. And that pipette is inserted into the sheath and directed caudally into the level of the, into the prepuce. And then a back and forth motion is made to collect that smegma within the device. There's a couple other specially designed trick devices on the market, so the Pizzle Stick from Lane Manufacturing and the Tricket from Morris Livestock, those are specifically designed to garner that smegma. And then that smegma is pulled out, the collection device containing the smegma is pulled out of the sheath, and then that sample is inoculated into um, phosphate buffered saline or sterile saline, depending on your lab. That is a change that has um, probably taken a hold in the last few years. A lot of people are probably used to hearing that it is inoculated into diamonds media. As a lot of our diagnostic labs have progressed to using reverse transcript PCR or RT-PCR, they have moved away from diamonds media and have started using more PBS and sterile saline as their media of choice for those diagnostic samples. Good. Thanks for thanks for uh, walking us through that, Jen. Let's talk about your results. What what are, what were the results when you analyzed your samples? <laughs> so our results were that there was no difference. So some would say they're quite boring. I personally was very excited to see that our there was no significant difference in the chance of obtaining a positive sample per bull, regardless of whether the sample was taken from the right or left side of the chute, and regardless of the veterinarian's handedness. So our p-value was 0.8, so pretty high. And I, I personally was pretty excited about that because I think as a cattle veterinarian, depending on the environment that we are, we often don't have a choice about what side of the shoot that we are on. And so knowing that it doesn't matter what side of the shoot I'm on really helps ease my mind about whether I am doing the best job. As long as I get a good sample, it doesn't, I know I'm not going to affect that, the results by being on one side of the shoot or the other. 
Well, I read the paper. I did not think the results were boring because you answered the question, which is very relevant to practicing veterinarians, as you uh, mentioned. But you also referenced, you know, the Parker paper that, that got your mind thinking about this project for 10 years. What were some possible reasons that you identified that your results may have differed from the from the Parker study right. that you referenced? So one of the biggest differences that we talked about in the discussion was that due to the fact that Dr. Dr. Parker's study was in the early 2000s. Culture was still being very was still very prevalent as the diagnostic test of choice, and so consequently, as time has moved on and our diagnostic sampling has become become more scientific, and we've gone to the use of RT PCR, we can det- detect much smaller amounts of trick, and it has a much higher sensitivity and specificity as compared to culture. So I think that is one of the reasons that we may have had different results from the Parker study. We also used a different testing device with our study as compared to the Parker study. We used the Pizzle Stick in our study where she used a mare insemination pipette. And so that was another difference. The research would indicate that there is no difference in those devices. However, that was a difference between our study and Dr. Parker's study. You were involved in in another paper that was published in the bovine practitioner from some interviews Mm -hmm. you did with recent graduates. And I remember you were surprised that one of the things that they were concerned about was injury and their physical health. That, that paper was, Pippa was a co-author on that paper, but you know, let's talk about ergonomics, long-term physical health. You know, when we're doing all these procedures Shouldn't veterinarians be concerned about that? And how does this maybe affect So certainly ergonomic consideration. So going back to that paper that you just mentioned, one of the most cited reasons that a a young practitioner thought that they would leave the um, bovine veterinarian realm was injury. And so really taking into mind ergonomic concerns We know that large animal veterinarians often suffer from musculoskeletal discomfort of the upper extremities, neck, shoulders, arms, elbows, wrists, and hands. So thinking about how we can, because this is a repetitive motion, we are often collecting multiple bulls, what can we do to ease the strain on our Really, our shoulders and arms are what we are going to use most for this procedure. So knowing that handedness does not have a major impact on this and that we should often put ourselves in a position where it is comfortable for us to collect this the sample. I think making sure that the because it is a repetitive motion, making sure that we are comfortable that our body is aligned, those are going to be helpful in making sure that we have that longevity. Had had the results been that I needed to always use my right hand when collecting from either side of the chute, I will tell you that I personally think that using my right hand when collecting from the left side of the chute is making that backwards 
back and forth motion is very taxing on my shoulder. And so consequently, when I collect, even though I'm a right hand dominant person, I prefer to collect with my left hand on the left side of the shoot. And so I think those are ergonomic considerations that we need to take into effect. We certainly didn't look at the ergonomic strain on a collector in this study, but I think the ability of a lot of large animal veterinarians to be very ambidextrous probably encourages us that we can use either hand depending on what side of the shoot we're on. That makes total sense, and and we do need to take care of ourselves physically, so we do have that longevity, and I do think that this project does speak to that. I also always like to ask investigators if they identified any limitations in their study. Do you have any comments Certainly. on that? So yeah. there was only one limitation of our study was that we only had one left-handed dominant and one right-handed dominant veterinarian in this study. So what this study would look like across a wide population, we can only extrapolate that across a wide population since we only had a single a single dominant hand dominant person in each group. So and I'm pretty sure that we know what the take-home message right. is for private practicing right. veterinarians that are collecting bulls, yeah. Jen. But what do you think is the main take-home point from right. your project? So main take-home point for me is that think about the environment that you're collecting that sample in and choose the best situation for you to be able to get an adequate sample. Dr. Andrak really coined the terms of pre-analytical considerations when trick testing bulls. And one of the pre-analytical considerations is getting a good sample. So I think the take home for me is that you should put you as a veterinarian, depending on the environment you are in, should put yourself in the best situation to get the best sample that you can to have the best chance of finding a positive for your client. And so I think that that means that you can whether you're regardless of whether you're right-handed or left-handed, you can collect from either side of the chute and collect in a manner that is most comfortable for you to help ensure that you get the best sample. So those those are the big take-homes for me. Well, I really appreciate taking the time to walk through your paper on this podcast, Jen, for submitting your project to the AABP Foundation. You know, AABP was founded in 1965 by bovine veterinarians to develop resources for bovine veterinarians. And I would think that the people that founded our organization, this is exactly probably the type of thing that they envisioned was AABP and the AABP Foundation supporting projects that directly affect what we do on ranches and farms across the U.S. and Canada and, and internationally. And this is just the type of practical research that the foundation funds. This is also the type of research that the Bovine Practitioner, our peer-reviewed journal, publishes. And so I would encourage if you are a researcher, if you're a private practicing veterinarian that's conducting field research, consider submitting to the Bovine Practitioner. We have no publication fees. It's published online. Our peer review process is online. It's a pretty efficient way to get our articles published. And I would encourage anyone that does relevant 
clinically relevant research projects to consider submitting your paper to the bovine practitioner. We're going to link this paper in the bovine practitioner as well as the one that we referenced regarding physical health and and injury prevention for recent grads because I think that this is relevant to that project as well. Uh, and then finally, I want to also in, once again encourage our members to support the AABP Foundation with a donation. We'll have a link in our show notes uh, to donate to the foundation so we can fund the projects uh, in 2024. Our FP is open right now. That will close on the end of December, December 29th at 5 p.m. Eastern. So would encourage if you have a project that is clinically relevant to submit that idea to the AABP Foundation for consideration for funding in 2024. The foundation will fund up to two research projects in 2024, up to $25,000 each, dairy, beef, cattle welfare, all of those topics will be considered by the foundation board. And then Finally, I want to just plug our recent graduate conference, which will be in Knoxville, Tennessee, in February 2024. Jen will be leading a pre-conference seminar on performing a breeding soundness exam on bulls. So if you are a recent graduate and you are attending that conference, strongly encourage you to come in a day early. That seminar will be a small group session, 20, 25 people max. You will be collecting bulls. And Jen is one of the authors on the on the guideline through SFT. What better person to get guidance on on how to pr- properly perform that service? And she's also speaking. If you can't take the seminar, she'll be speaking at the recent grad conference on performing a proper BSE as well. So, Jen, I look forward to seeing you in Knoxville, and I want to thank you once again for the podcast and the publication. Thank you, Fred, and thank you to the ABP Foundation.